Hey, I'm Stefan Duano. And I'm Lindsay Miller. And welcome back to Check It Out, Growing Up Degrassi. Thanks for joining us. Stefan and I are recording our intros from two different boroughs of the city this week, but we're excited to bring you something that we recorded together with a very special guest. The man who brought Degrassi the next generation to a whole new generation. Executive producer and co-creator Stephen Stone. Stefan and I had the privilege of speaking with Stephen to discuss what Degrassi has meant to him and to audiences over the years. Stone explains the origins of Degrassi and how the series we love so much almost never happened. In fact, Next Generation had a completely different title. He also delves into the casting process and how the series tackled heavier topics like abortion and suicide and the different versions the U.S. and Canadian markets aired. So sit back and get ready to check it out. Stephen Stone is a television producer and the former president of Epitome Pictures. He was the executive producer of Degrassi, The Next Generation, alongside his wife, Linda Schuyler, who co-created the franchise. We are so pleased to have him here with us. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for welcoming me in. Stephen, how did you first get involved with the Degrassi series? It was It's a really charming story. Um, I was a young lawyer just recently called to the bar, and a young woman had been referred to me, came into my office. Her name was Linda Schuyler. I didn't know her then. And she said, um, here's what's happened. I, I want to make a little film. I've made little films with my class, but uh, now I've got $5,000, and my family has contributed, and I want to make a film based on this little book. And I got this book by accident. The librarian at the school was ordering books for me, like how to make a movie. Um, and uh, she, he came up with this book called Ida Makes a Movie. And it's just a story about a, a little girl or a cat who wants to make a, make a movie. But I think it's charming. And so I want to make a movie of it. How, how do I do that? And I looked at it and I said, well, the book is out of print. And I think if we get a lawyer involved, it's just going to get really complicated. Here's a form for an assignment of all audiovisual rights. Why don't you take that form? You can just fill in the name here and do that. Fly down to New York, speak with the publisher, offer them a couple of hundred bucks, and see what happens. Well, I didn't hear from her again for almost five years. And in that five-year period, she'd gone down to New York, had bought the rights to the book, and had made this film which initially didn't have very much success, but then she made a second one. It might have been called Casey uh, join, has a suit or something like that, or Casey joins a gang. Something, Noel buys a suit and Casey joins a gang. And then our Canadian Broadcasting Corporation wanted to put them on the air. And so they said, well, there's a series of them now. What do we call the series? And she said, well, my friend Bruce the librarian lives on Degrassi Street. And he's let us use uh, his house during the day to film these little things. So why don't we call it the Kids of Degrassi Street? And how she contacted me again after five years was CBC and she had decided, wouldn't it be fun to age up the series into junior high? And we could call the series Degrassi Junior High. And that meant a bigger budget. They needed to get an entertainment lawyer. And she remembered that kindly young man who gave her free legal advice way back in the day. And I like to say 
she's paid dearly for it ever since. <laughs> oh, no, it's a beautiful story. It's a, it's a love story, and it's sort of everything came together. It's amazing how yeah. you, you started in law and, and ended up on Degrassi Street. <laughs> um, so, the, the, so I remember you and I were talking a few weeks ago. Degrassi had a completely different uh, vision initially, correct? Well, I, I don't know whether you'd say um, a different vision. Uh, yes and no. I mean, yes, because... Um, back in those days, first of all, w- when you when you look at the old series, on the one hand, they are charming. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, boy, do they move slow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but the heart of them. So 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 we just do different things these days. And uh, starting when Next Generation came back, of course, you're on primetime television. There's there's commercials. Uh, you sort of unfold the story you need to do something uh, cliffhanger as you're going to commercial to you know hold people over the three minutes then you get into the netflix area where there's no commercials and you can actually let the stories breathe but also there's been binge watching binge watch so um you know 10 episodes is actually really just like a long feature film and so you have to think not just of the episode you have to think of the entire series and it rolls out differently but at its heart Right from the very beginning, Linda, who was a school teacher um, before uh, she created Degrassi, was uh, always imbued with this notion of, um, you know, diversity, uh, the immigrant experience of people who feel like they're misfits when they're they're going to school and they're trying to interact and, and grow up and understand relationships. And the two key concepts which have remained absolutely the same all the way through, one is you are not alone. Mm-hmm. So whatever you're going through, you may think it's it's weird and that you're the only one on the planet who's that weird. No, you're not alone. <laughs> other people are going through it and other people can understand if, if you can open up and talk to them. And the other is uh, you are powerful. You have the power to make choices. But. Every choice has a consequence. And we've tried very much not to, not to say what the right choice is. We just say you make a choice and there are consequences to it. And then, you know, the storytelling in itself, uh, you know, makes it clear maybe that maybe wasn't the greatest choice or uh, or was. And so I remember, you know, reading about Degrassi's return. I remember growing up and watching Degrassi Junior High. Um, and then I remember reading about the return. It was like a September issue of TV Guide magazine, which is how clear I remember it. It was 2001. And the show had been off the air for, you know, at least a decade, right? And what was it about that year or like the early 2000s that sort of felt right, like a right, the right time to revive the series? Part of it is is luck. Um, there's in the entertainment world. There's so much luck involved. Linda always kicks me under the table because people say, "Oh, what made Degrassi a success?" And my first answer is luck. <laughs> and she goes, "No, no, no, you, you can't say that because we worked so hard, and you know, and, and we hired great people, and it was talent." And, it was, and I said, "Yeah, yeah, but lots of people have done that, and you know, we happen to be there in the right time, and and you know, with the right people helping us." And so I'm a great believer in. Uh, uh, in, in luck. But what had happened was um, we were off the air. Linda and uh, her then partner, Kid Hood, and writer Yan Moore had just were at each other's throats in 2001 when they produced the final. It was the, the, the movie Schools Out. 
Mm-hmm. And they just couldn't stand the thought of working together. <laughs> um, so so it, the CBC and PBS wanted th- there to be more episodes, but they said, no, that's it. So, so they let it go. And um, over the next years, Degrassi remained on the air and it, it kept being popular. I mean, these were old episodes, but it was after school. People would watch it. And um, as I came more and more into the picture uh, in the late uh, 1990s, I kept saying, we should do a reunion series. Wow. And, um, you know, we had some ideas about it, but um, there was a rights dispute between Kit and Linda. They both owned the series and Kit didn't want to. And how are we going to go about it? And I said, listen, let's just do this. Let's just make an offer to Kit. And he probably won't accept it. But, you know, at least we'll have tried. And he didn't accept it. So we carried on and we were producing at that time a soap opera. And it was going fairly well in Canada. Um, it was sort of like a Coronation Street type soap opera, which I don't know if you've ever seen Coronation Street, but it's a huge, it. long running series in, 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 UK, in England. Right? But it's every we, we like to call it the romance of everyday life. Mm-hmm. Um Anyway, we, we did that, and then we thought it would be fun to do kind of like a soap opera for but for youth, for, for teenagers. And so we put into uh, development a show called Ready, Willing, and Wired. And But every year we would sort of repeat our offer to Kit to, you know, to get the rights to, to do a new Degrassi. Well, we developed Ready, Willing, and Wired, and then one day Kit – for, for whatever reason, he was in a wonderful mood or whatever, <laughs> and he, he accepted the offer. And at the same, at around the same time, Jan Moore came in to Linda and said, I've been doing a little bit of calculation. <laughs> you know how um, Emma uh, was born to Spike? Oh, amazing. Well, she'd be about the right age to go into junior high now. Shouldn't we switch Ready, Willing, and Wired, make the characters more like Degrassi characters, and uh, make that the new Degrassi? That is so, so cool. Um, that's how it happened. And um, I remember calling up um, the uh, the head of uh, CTV, which is one of our large television networks. Of course. And, and I said, a guy named Bill Mustos, and I said, Bill, um, I've got a pitch for you, uh, but it's it's the shortest pitch you've ever heard it's only four words long and it goes like this degrassi the next generation (laughs) and he said i'll take it (laughs) very literal there's a lot a lot of fate and you settled the uh the drama on degrassi street with um with kit it just it worked right. out. So that I mean, so you ended up getting this this uh, reunion, and and you know the first episodes focused the pilot, the mother daughter reunion, and it has this big plot about you know meeting strangers online. Um, so what were some of the issues you were playing around with with for that for that pilot? Was it always going to be focused on this stranger danger, the topic of online dating? It, it was the very beginning of the real advent of we didn't use the word social media back then, but the mm-hmm. Internet was really coming to fore. And hence the title Ready, Willing and Wired. The Wired was referring yeah. to the Internet and cell phones. And in those early days, the the intro had sort of, a, a you know, messages going over the air around the classes. The choir is singing uh, 
you know, whatever it takes. Yeah. Um, so that was always going to be Which we a, love, by uh, the way. We yeah. love. <laughs> a, a banger, a as we say now. We watch it all the time. I'm not kidding. We, we watch the intro every single time we, we finish the show. Well, and of course, there, there's been many different versions of the intro and different versions of whatever it takes. Well, whatever it takes, um, actually, I'll tell you a story, which I don't think I've told anybody, oh, me. which is how the theme song was created. I'm a Beach Boy fan, and I love the song Be True to Your School. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard the song, but if, if, go onto YouTube, type in Beach Boys, Be True to Your School. And in the background, there's a chorus that sings, you know, rah, 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 sis, boom, bah, and, and, and all of this. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool to have like a chorus, like a choir singing in the background? Well, it didn't, it didn't have a Beach Boy melody in the end, <laughs> but we did have a choir, and it wasn't a call response, but we did have a choir of kids singing it. Yeah, I, we remember it well. I was always like, Ashley was into choir. Um, <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so that was, you know, Emma sort of gets put, put in the, I, we, we were on AIM at the time, we know Instant Messenger and, and um, all of that was coming up. So it makes sense that, that that was something she would have been doing as well and emailing back and forth. But I mean, did you tackle a few different ideas of what you wanted that? I mean, definitely there's the, the reunion and the, the sort of the 10 year reunion where we're meeting all these characters from, from the past. But with the kids, did you have a few different scenarios that you were maybe playing around with or really wanted it to just stick to sort of a, a computer theme? Oh, definitely not a computer theme. I mean, um, Linda's fond of saying um, that the dramatic thing about high school, and it's different from university and it's different from elementary school, but is having one foot in childhood and one foot in adulthood. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, it, you can come home from school and you're just so upset and you've got your favorite teddy bear on the <laughs> one end, but then you're out carousing and partying on the other end. And that's, that's a tension. Um, and just trying to fit in and to not be a misfit is um to grow up and at the same time you know keep who you are when when, when you were younger it's it's really that more so the internet was a major a major part of it and of course we launched our uh, our website at the time degrassi.tv mm -hmm. and that was that was groundbreaking that that was part of the internet experience um what we created, and I don't know if you ever went onto the website. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, but th there were like 900,000 subscribers. And as you know, then, um, you know, you had an experience that was a precursor and in many ways had the same functionality as, you know, MySpace or Facebook. There was a bit, um, Bitmoji. You could you could um, sort of design your own uh, carrot monica. I don't know what it was called at the time. You'd like get, an like, avatar. You'd have an yeah. avatar. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and you had we didn't use the word blog in those days, but you could have a blog. You could uh, post pictures. I mean, it probably took a, for a fortune in time to upload the pictures, but you, <laughs> but you could do that. And there was uh, the difference between that and Facebook and Much Music um, was uh, Much Music um, MySpace was that um, th there was uh, moderation. Mm -hmm. And it, it was post-moderation. So if somebody did something inappropriate, you could hit a flag button and then a moderator would check it out. And the thing we were most concerned about wasn't so much using swear words. I mean, we didn't want that and that. We didn't want kids giving personal information about themselves or where they live. That, that was sort of the, the biggest transgression. But if you did that, you would get a note from Mr. Simpson, 
the principal <laughs> who would admonish you, oh and tell you not to do it again, and the post would be removed. If you did it three times, we'd block your IP address. <laughs> You're kicked out of school. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. You'd be expelled. That's so, such a good. So that was really as much as anything the internet side, and there were stories about the internet, but then there were the stories about you know all the other things that happened, whether it's having your first period or boners in the class, or uh, and then there was some you know <laughs> some ones that I look back on and think. How did we ever write that? You know, like Toby eating laxatives to lose weight or something. I mean, yeah. or um, remember there was one where uh, Liberty was wearing a cape and sort of had this Napoleon complex. They didn't forget what the story <laughs> yeah, was. Yeah, she did. And we look, yeah, and we look back and say, how did that ever get on the air? <laughs> I think it was for a sport team or something. She was sort of she wasn't on the team. She didn't make yeah, the team, but she you but know was sort was of the captain control. of the team and yeah, okay. <laughs> perfect. She was being Liberty. Um, I like hearing you talk about you know you had this meta experience on the message boards of protecting the kids who were there and that's something that i see in the show too that the it rides a line of dealing with the issues but in a considerate way in a way that's respectful to kids and i'm wondering how how you managed that how you handled um sending the right message to kids about these difficult issues like um like meeting people online you know the tagline is it goes there but it goes there in a sensitive way yeah. Well, it's a lot of it. Yeah, I think you use the word respect. And I think that's really it. It's respect for the kids. When when we first brought in Degrassi Junior High, and it was on uh, PBS through uh, WGBH Boston, WGBH um, was really interested in doing the show. But for a while, they really pressed because they said, we love everything about it. We love what you're proposing to do. But we think you should add an element to the show. There should be somebody, maybe it's an older woman up the street. Maybe she has cats. And at the end of the show, the kids could go to her and she could let them know what the right thing to do was so that there would be a, a moral to the story. And Linda basically said, no, <laughs> um, you know, we are not going to do that theory. That, that just is not is not the way to do it. You have to respect the kids. The kids have to make mistakes. They have to they, they have to find out in their own way. Uh, and maybe they misunderstand, but that's what happens in school. Uh, and uh, and let's and let's portray that, and and we'll see what the consequences are. And that's what the lesson is: not that there is a right or a wrong way. Also, I'm allergic to cats, so I would not be able to visit that lady. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I mean, definitely, we're talking about like respectfully tackling a lot of these issues. I mean, when it came to the writers' room, I mean, did you have a a ton of different ideas you wanted to tackle? Were you influenced by um, actual teenagers on the show or the cast, um, or did like a younger cast member ever inspire a storyline or bring something to it, the table? It, it, it came. It came from all over the place. Uh, sometimes it, it would be a cast member at a read through would mention something. Uh, sometimes, like for example, even the story going back to the uh, the spike um, being pregnant at age fifteen. Mm -hmm. That happened to Linda's sister, and that was a story she wanted to tell. And uh, in in Linda's case, it, it was quite a dramatic thing because her parents were very religious and actually sent her sister away mm -hmm. to have the child. And it, it was, you know almost a PTSD kind of experience within the family. Mm -hmm. So the stories came about in any way. And the, the mantra was, if they're talking about it in the corridors, we need to be talking about it on television. 
So particularly, um, you know, as we went along, we got better and better at it. But, uh, you know, the writers would go into the schools and would uh, would meet with students and online. You know, you, you'd have conversations. I mean, the, uh, the Degrassi.tv was terrific for asking questions and getting feedback about, you know, the kinds of stories that people wanted and, and thought should be told. And people did not hesitate to suggest the story ideas. That's, that's actually, that's incredible. And I think um, in terms of like story ideas, was there ever anything that just for that initial first season that you wanted to do that maybe they just said, okay, like let's, let's hold off for another season or two, or you just weren't ready to tackle yet? Uh, well, there's lots of things that we, it took a long, long while to tackle. Um, you know, we didn't want to uh, tackle abortion in that first mm -hmm. season because because of the sensitivities in the United States. Another one that, which we didn't tackle for years and years and is very difficult and it has to be done right, of course, is suicide. Um, it, but really, uh, we did. I think it was only two years later that we did the uh, the Manny Emma. Mm -hmm. uh, episodes where, where Manny has an abortion. I think that was 2003. Um, and then again, it was a number of years later, was it 2014 when we, when Lola had an abortion? And if you think about the, uh, the three main abortion storylines, which are very sensitive in the United States, in fact, in Canada, not that sensitive. Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody raised any objections or thoughts. We just don't have that same, that same uh, issue in Canada. Um, but, you know, in the really early days when the, when one of the twins was having an abortion, but the other twin was against it. And, you know, it's a great way to tell a balanced story because you've got the two of them and one is against, but they love each other. So in the end, the one supports the other as she walks up the steps to the abortion clinic. Oh. Then what a perfect way to tell the story uh, with Manny and Emma, when Manny wants an abortion, Emma wouldn't be there. If Spike had had an abortion, I mean, it's it's a wonderful balanced way. And even then, as you know, the end did not air that episode. Um, right. They delayed it for a couple of years, and even then, just put it in a um, you know a running series of all the Degrassi episodes of all time, and surrounded it with public service messages and and all of that. It's so interesting because <clears throat> on the message boards that we mentioned before, <clears throat> sorry. Um, it's so interesting because on the message boards that we had mentioned before, that's how I was able to watch the episode because people were sort of um, – I don't know if we had YouTube at the time, but but it it was this episode that was sort of just not if, – if you lived in the U.S., you couldn't watch. So, yeah. I mean, there are so many alternate versions between the Canadian and U.S. versions. And what were those conversations like? Because um, you are dealing with like the N, which um, had a very different audience than something like CTV. What were your feelings towards an edited storyline or an edit, edited version of, of your vision? Well, it, it was actually there wasn't that much. By the time it got to air and by the time we were on Degrassi, the next generation, there wasn't that much difference between the two. Uh, I, in fact, I think apart from that one episode, which was delayed in the States, I think it was pretty much identical, the, the content. But um, in Degrassi Junior High and Degrassi High, there were different versions. But that was because um, on PBS, there were no commercials. Mm -hmm. And in Canada, there were commercials. So there was an extra, there was a C storyline in the PBS version, which didn't exist in the Canadian version. So it was actually the reverse. The Canadians were saying, hey, why did the Americans get more story than, <laughs> than we did? Um, 
really the um, the discussions happened before the editing, and that was uh, we'd have meetings in advance of the season to discuss the kind kind of storylines we wanted to do. Let's say we wanted to do a, a story on cutting. Mm-hmm. Well, we would get the input from the end. We would get the input from CTV. And we would take that into account and we would, as all the way along, we'd submit uh, scripts to both of them. We'd submit rough cuts and fine cuts to both of them and then eventually come at a consensus edit that worked for for both. That's so interesting. Yeah. Like dealing with the standards at the top. Well, that's right. And uh, one trick we quickly learned was we didn't get CTV and the N on the phone together. No, <laughs> we, we dealt with them both separately, and uh, and in a sense, in a nice way, we could play one off against the other and yeah. say, "Well, the N wants this." Yeah, mom and dad, right? <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's another thing when you talk about mom and dad, because we were referred to as mom and dad on oh, the set. Of well, course, Linda. that makes oh, sense. That's so nice. <laughs> But the uh, the interesting thing was Linda and I quite I mean, we've been married for 25 years. We got married in 1995. Um, we um, we often disagree with each other and we disagree very openly and we dis- mm-hmm. disagree with everyone uh, knowing that, that we're disagreeing. So two things. One, if somebody wanted something, they would figure out which one of us to ask, which which was the one that was most likely to say yes. But the other was when we had meetings with people and we'd ask their opinion, um, they knew that it was very important for them to give their real opinion. Because if they gave an opinion trying to agree with Linda, well, they'd be disagreeing with me mm. or vice versa. So why not just say what they really felt? And and I think that's one of the real successes of the show, that, that people really felt, whether it was writers or people in the production staff, they all felt that they could just speak exactly what was on their mind. They, they weren't yes people. Mm. We were curious, I'm changing the topic a bit, um, what the audience was like in the beginning. Um, because it's a kid-focused show, but it has this tie-in also with uh, Gen Xers and and revisiting their stories. What was was there a difference between CTV and the N audiences and who was watching? Uh, we used to think, uh, you know, if we imagined who, if there was one person who was our audience, we used to say, well, it's it's a young girl, probably 16 years and three months old. <laughs> and, and, and there's an adage in television which um, didn't happen in Degrassi. Uh, Degrassi was the exception, and it took us a long while to really realize that, which is that kids watch up. So a 10-year-old will watch a show that's meant for 14-year-olds, but a 14-year-old would never watch a show that's meant for 10-year-olds. What we found in Degrassi was uh, kids watched up and down. First of all, um, in The Next Generation, we weren't aiming at kids that were 10 years old or 11. We were really aiming a little bit higher than that. And if if kids were younger, we really hoped that their parents were watching with them. Mm -hmm. Um, But... Our biggest audience and people um, in Canada, uh, this was not true on the end, um, was actually young women um, in their 20s and uh, particularly their late 20s. And uh, I have a theory behind that. And it is that as they were going in, they were thinking about, you know, maybe one day I'll get married and I'll have kids. And 
I wonder what their experience in school will be like. You know, will it be as good as mine or more probably will it, will it be as terrible as mine was? <laughs> uh, and uh, going through and, and how will I talk to my kid? How will I actually relate to my kid? Because I didn't relate to my own parents or I did. And I want to you know carry that on. And so they would watch uh, Degrassi and uh, and and really watch it in great numbers. Um of course, on the end, where all the shows were aimed at uh, at teens, uh, you didn't tend to have that that great of a older audience. Mm-hmm. Next week on part two of our interview with Stephen Stone, Stone talks Drake, how Marco's coming out storyline in season three impacted one fan in his family, the complexities of tackling the infamous school shooting in season four, and the question on every fan's mind: Will there be a reboot? So keep your fingers crossed and make sure to subscribe. Keep an eye on your feeds for our next episode and connect with us on social media. We're check it OAT on Instagram. Special thanks to Mike Ortiz for engineering and production help. Thanks for joining us. I like how... You say Stone and I say Stephen. Oh my gosh, I can really feel your journalism training within your words, Stefan.